Hello and welcome to the Practice Drill Podcast, episode 12. So much to get into on today's episode. We're talking the Boomers, a historic performance at the Olympics, which sadly just ended. Then we move on to the fallout from Bledisloe 1 at Eden Park, where the All Blacks took the dubs. And then we move on to the AFL finals race, which is getting more and more exciting the closer we actually get to the finals. And the NRL's best, the top six, all played each other in round 21. And we analyze what to take away from those three matchups. Just want to give a shout out to Sancho, as always, providing that killer intro for us. Really appreciate it. But as always, I'm joined by the killer, the man, Blaze McKee. What's going on? Not much, man. We're still locked down, but, you know, we're loving the sport and the variety of sport that's that's on at the moment. So it was another great week and we'll get into it. So as you said, another great week of Olympics. Bit of AFL, bit of international rugby, NRL chucked in, man. There's so much that was to enjoy over the weekend in particular. What was the highlight of the past week since we last spoke for you, sports-wise? For me, I really enjoyed the track and field. I'm probably more of a track and field guy compared to the swimming, in, although Australia is not as, not as dominant. But it was great to see some Australian jerseys, you know, laid into the finals of those races. And, and, you know, we're really growing, I think, in that track and field sport. Yeah, definitely. And you had a Trinity alumni racing. What do you think of uh, Rowan? Yeah, there was actually two. So Rowan Browning made the semi-final in the 100, which uh, he kind of went viral there for a few days with the mullet. And then another guy called Ollie Hall was in the same year as him and actually made the 1,500-metre final. So, yeah, I guess, you know, it's all going up for Trinity and for Australian athletics. Yeah, and we, we do know a few that maybe, fingers crossed, will be there in Paris. Um, but, mate, what about, since you're a big track and field guy, what do you think of the, uh, the high jump, the split gold medal? Everyone was talking about it. I'm a big fan of that. I thought it was sick. But what about you? What do you think? I, I really enjoyed it as well. I mean, first of all, you know, people, are, I think some of the complaints are about, like, competition and is this really in the spirit of competition? But I feel like it actually was the ultimate competition. These two guys competed for maybe two hours and could not be split. You know, they... They jumped back, count back record was the exact same. They couldn't clear that height. So those two guys were at the maximum of their potential and they couldn't be split. So I thought it was a pretty fair decision and, and I really enjoyed it, yeah. You want to know what's funny about it? And this is what I thought watching it live. Now, this is a throwback for the two of us. One, I think it was about year five, year six when we were in primary school. You and someone else went ahead and got first and second in high jump. And I was terrible, but I was like still up there competing and no one could clear the height anymore. So they started lowering it back down and I was able to get that, uh, that bronze, well, the, the third place ribbon at the Athletics Carnival. That was huge highlight moment for me. But yeah, that's what it reminded me of. I was like, well, could we just start lowering the bar back down and see who stuffs up, who gets fatigued first? But anyway, yeah, we will move into something on the topic of the Olympics, as I said, the Boomers winning bronze medal. They defeated Slovenia 107 to 93. They beat some good countries on the way to doing it. Italy, who have numerous NBA players. Germany as well. Argentina have a couple. Um, Campazzo in particular. Then it was an agonizing loss. They almost had the USA there in the first half. But they went on to the bronze match and beat Slovenia 
how good was it to finally for Australia and the Boomers to finally get over that hump and and uh, and get that bronze medal? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. They they had a bit of hype going into the tournament, obviously beating the US in the pre-game, and you know they've been really close for a long time and. I think it probably shows that basketball is getting bigger in Australia. We're getting more guys into the NBA. Obviously, the NBL is also becoming a bit of a bigger bigger prospect for guys, and I think it's paying off for the, the national team. And you know, they could you could tell that they were really together, and they really wanted that bronze bronze medal. And as you said about Australians now feeding into the NBA, obviously, um, Giddy Josh Giddy, who just got um, drafted to Oklahoma City. Um, but also, Jock Landale, while he's at the Olympics, signs a contract with the San Antonio Spurs. Like, this is huge for someone who's spent quite a few years now in the NBL and all that hard work and then actually showcasing it on the biggest stage in the Olympics. It was uh, kind of like a heartfelt moment. I-, I thought that was really, really incredible. But yes, he was incredible, Jock Landale, but we all know it was the man, Bala Pat. Paddy Mills, man, 42 points, nine assists in the bronze medal match against Slovenia. That was some performance from him. Yeah, pretty incredible. And, you know, he was the leader of that team. And, you know, he even led out the country at the opening ceremony. So for him to have that performance in the key moment, in the key match was pretty incredible. And, you know, it's pretty amazing. I think, you know, doing a bit of research, I think he played in the 2008 Olympics, so what's that, 8, 12, 16, and now 2020. So he's been there a number of times and, and they're fallen short. So for him to come up big in the in the huge game and get them over the line was pretty incredible, I thought. Yeah, he was absolutely uh, incredible. We'll ignore the 4 of 15, 27% from three. We'll ignore that. Shooter's got to shoot, man. Shooter's got to shoot. Exactly, exactly, bro. You know, when you get that bit of space like Balapat, you're going to put it up. Um, but Matej Steibel, he led the team in defence throughout the entire Olympic campaign. But in particular, he shut down the, the future prince, they're saying, of the NBA in Luka Doncic just to 22 points, which some people would be like, well, 22 points, that's pretty good. But Luka Doncic is a lot better than 22 points. What did you think of his entire campaign and, and in particular also that uh, game against Slovenia? Yeah, he brings something really different and obviously he's a huge defensive threat. You know, you, you go on YouTube, you can see him, you know, really shutting down some of the biggest names in the in the NBA. So I think he added something different for the Boomers and it was cool to see him really want to represent Australia. You know, I think he was born here and spent a few years when he was young here, but then moved to America quite young. So it was cool for him to, to come back and represent Australia and, and get that bronze medal and I also like to see you know he does all the vlogs and he's got a lot of social content so he gives a bit of an insight to to I guess the inner sanctum of those teams which is cool to see and I I saw the camera out in some of their post-match uh celebrations so I'm sure sure that vlog dropping soon is going to be a great one yeah and shout out to Ben Simmons for winning the bronze oh sorry um (laughs) no but we'll uh we'll move on to uh the Bledisloe Cup now Obviously, the first match played at Eden Park. I'm actually really impressed by the scoreline. Obviously, we kind of knew that the All Blacks were going to get up, but 33-25, that's the score for that first match. The Eden Park record for New Zealand against Australia now extends to 21 games, man. 
This is ridiculous. Can you talk us through what happened in this opening game of the series? Yeah, as you say, it was pretty close, you know, eight-point loss. And I think, you know, both teams kind of were feeling each other out and were probably a bit scrappy, especially early on in the game. You know, there was quite a few penalty goals. For Australia, they'll be really disappointed. I think just after half time, they led in three tries in a 15-minute in a period. One of them was actually a, a full-field intercept past Richie Mwanga, ran probably 80 or 90 metres to score under the post. And against the All Blacks, you know, everyone knows how ruthless they are. You just can't slip for those, those 10 or 15-minute periods or they make you pay. When you see the scoreline, that's obviously a terrible 15-minute period and probably lost in the game just there. But... Who was impressive? Who stood out for the Wallabies? Yeah, I think, you know, in their back line, they scored a lot of points. And Andrew Kellaway on the wing was really impressive, scored a nice try. And every time he got the ball was, was pretty good. And, and I think that's a really important position. Obviously, Marika Korobetti usually is on the wing, but he's going to Japan at the end of the year. So you'll be missing him for a while there. And Hopefully, Kellaway can come in and fill that position. In the forward pack, Michael Hooper, as always, was outstanding. I think, you know, he's the Wallabies' best player by far and away. And he's probably the only player that would make any sort of all-black side or World 15. Michael Hooper would be in there. I think a lot of people like to sort of hate on him because he took maybe David Pocock's position. But, yeah, he's always outstanding every time he, he wears the gold jersey. So, obviously, it's looking like since the French series here and now a, a narrow loss, and obviously if they hit, if they convert those six kicks, that's 12 points, they get the win, would have been by four points. But obviously that would have changed the entire game. Yeah. But it looks like they're trending in the right direction. What can they learn from this loss to take into uh, next weekend's game two at back at Eden Park against the All Blacks? Yeah, as you say, definitely trending in the right direction. And, and I think it's just some of their decision-making maybe in the key moments. You know, as we said, there was an intercept try from a cutout pass. You know, maybe you just hold on to that and carry the ball and recycle for the next phase. But I'm sure they'll, they'll be figuring that out and they'll be going through all the video and whatever. So hopefully next week you get another opportunity to, to break that hoodoo and hopefully uh, bring the Bledisloe back home, maybe bring a bit of attention to Rugby Union. Yeah, well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I think I think they're definitely a big chance. I think you have to take so so many positives away from losing by eight. I mean, I've been to a couple of better slow games here in Sydney, and I think both times the All Blacks have won by forty points or more. Like, so to get it into that narrow margin, like that, you've got to take some positives away. So obviously, um, Dave Rennie's starting to get them in the right direction. Um, only being newly appointed and hopefully it's uh, they start building nicely as it looks like they are towards the World Cup in 2023, is it? Yeah, 2023. So there's still plenty of time between now and then to, to get it all right. Yeah, definitely. So we'll move on to a topic that we have spoken about in at length over the past few weeks and that is the hunt for the final spot in the AFL Finals, that eighth spot Last week, it was Frio that sat in there. This week, it's GWS back in the eighth spot, sitting on 38 uh, competition points. They are now two points clear of Essendon, who sit on 36. And there's even more. There's Essendon, Richmond, St Kilda, and Frio all on 36 points. 
but you've got to give it to GWS. They deserve that spot after their 19-point win over Geelong. What did you make of that game? Because, as you know, it lost me a multi. So I'm, I'm, I'm still very cut. I'm still very salty about it. Um, but, hey, GWS, just too good. Yeah, pretty impressive. I think everyone in the AFL knows that, you know, when you play Geelong at Geelong, they're incredibly difficult. And this season especially, they've been one of the best teams in the comp and they've got a pretty stacked, stacked side. So for the Giants who have who've had such an up-and-down season, as they usually do, to come out with a big win when they really needed one was was huge for them and now puts them in the box seat for that eighth spot going into the final two rounds. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a positive GWS with the situation put in front of them, they capitalised on it. And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously they're fighting for the final. So that's the biggest situation in front of them is they've got to try and compete against, you know, four or five other teams trying to take that eighth spot. And they rose to the occasion and did it. But to be fair to Geelong, Dangerfield cop an unfair elbow from Toby Green in the neck. That was, that'll be interesting to see what happens from there. I don't want to say that it's, you know, oh, he should be suspended for weeks. Like, I mean, it's kind of like, you can see that maybe he was trying to fend off, but it just, it looked really, really ugly. And then Tui went down about halfway through the game, I believe. So um, those are obviously two key players for Geelong to miss. And then, to only lose by 19 points. Those two plays could easily make the difference. Um, do you think GWS are lucky when you look at it like that? Yeah, obviously, as you say, you've just got to play what's in front of you. And I guess a factor for these these teams, we saw quite a few upsets, you know, whether it's conscious or subconscious, these, these five or six teams that are around that eighth spot are really going to be everything on the line. So they're, they're probably putting in max effort, whereas... You know, it might be subconscious, but Geelong know that they're safe. They know they're in the top four and they're probably preserving a bit. You know, when it really got tough, maybe they just thought, hey, we're locked into that top four. We don't really need this one. Whereas the Giants were, you know, pedaled to the medal. They needed that win. So I think that might have also been a factor. Sounds a little bit like the Swans game on the weekend, mate. You know, but that, but that's what happens at this time of the year. It's It's that, you know... People get sick. I get sick of hearing it because you never know, like, whether it's true or not. But, you know, people say that some of these games at this time of the year just comes down to who wants it more. And obviously, there's so, like you said, there's so much more on the line for GWS than there is for Geelong. They're going to be playing top four. They're going to get that second chance. GWS will, yeah, they'll get an away uh, finals game as will Sydney. It doesn't matter where they finish either. But, you know, so there's a lot for them to play for. But, it even elevates more for GWS coming into this weekend's match. There's only two games left in the season and they play Richmond. As you phrased it a couple of weeks ago, those eight-point games where you get four points and you take four points off the other person, who is getting the win in that huge match on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, Richmond, we've said it time and time again, have had a really strange season. And again, on the weekend, they were... They looked down and out at half time, and from all reports, got a got a spray from Damien Hardwick and came out the second half and looked looked everything that they can be and got the win. So, I guess it'll be interesting to see what what sort of side and what performance they put out. But you know me, I'm always always supporting the the Sydney boys, and I'm hoping the Giants can get a win there, and I'll back them back them to continue that form and get the win. And I'm the complete opposite. You will never see me barrack for GWS ever. No. Nah. Obviously, I think since Richmond have been a little bit off, I think 
GWS showed that if you're off by a little bit at this time of the year, they're going to capitalize. So Giants should get the win, but I'm going to go for Richmond because I don't want Lukey G to be hurt too much. Our mate, Luke Allen, obviously he's a little bit sad. There's been a lot of trades happening to his beloved South Sydney Rabbitohs. So look, I think for that to be happening and for Richmond to not make the finals, that's a little bit too much for someone to handle. So I'm going to go Richmond to get the win. And here is my take, all right? If Richmond win this weekend, they will stop the Giants from making the finals. They will stop them. GWS play, I believe it's another Carlton, team. Carlton, I think. Carlton, yeah. They're right around. So Carlton right around that. So uh, those teams competing for the final spot. But Essendon play the Suns this week. And as I said, Essendon, one of those teams that are two points behind the Giants. So they play the Suns. I back them to win that. Then they play Collingwood in the final round. I back them to win that. All it takes is for the Giants to lose one game, whether it's uh, this weekend, Richmond just have it in them, they want to win, or it's the following week and Carlton want to end their season on a high. I just I just think this is this will determine who gets that final spot. You heard it here first on the practice drill. No one else will give this to you. I'm telling you, if the Giants win this weekend, they will make the finals. If they lose, they will not make the finals. So I would say this is... Arguably the most significant game of the season when you're looking at ladder positions and the consequences of wins or losses. Um, But let's move on to another interesting topic when we're talking about consequential games. Now, in the NRL, we saw basically some finals previews uh, with all of the top six teams playing against each other. So we had South against Para, Roosters against Penrith, and Manly against the Storm. I'll put it to you, before, to you first before we jump in to those games. What was your favourite one of the round? Because they were all pretty good. I think I enjoyed probably the Storm play Manly the most. I think the Storm are playing, for one, a really interesting style of footy at the moment, which you know hasn't been probably true of them in the last few years where they've been kind of the grinder teams out. But this season, definitely, they've been playing a more up-tempo style. And I think Manly the same. You know, some of the players they have are pretty exciting. And I thought that that was probably the, the most, the best quality game out of the three. Obviously, the, the Penrith game was closer, but I thought the quality of football in the Storm-Manly game was pretty, pretty high. Yeah, I got to agree. Obviously, I thought Storm-Manly was the most interesting one. For a few reasons, I thought coming into the round, Manly have a good chance at winning the premiership. They don't have the best chance, but I think they have a better chance than the Roosters and Parramatta, even though they sit lower than both those teams. I still think they have a better chance. Um, so I was really intrigued to see what would happen, and I we definitely weren't let down. We saw, you know, Manly uh, really take it to them in in some parts, especially the middle third of the game, and then um, Storm just started off quite well and came home quite well. So that's how they got that win. But we'll run through the scores if you missed it. So South absolutely dominated Parramatta, 40 points to 12. The Riff, Penrith, they got that 20 to 14 win over the Roosters. It was a scrappy game, but they got there in the end. Then, as we just spoke about, the Storm beat Manly, 28 points to 18. Now, we'll start off with the first one of the three, which was on Friday night, South Parramatta. God, 
Pen, uh, sorry, Parramatta look out of their depth when they play the top teams. Um, unfortunately for them, Marnie is going to need uh, shoulder surgery. He's out for the rest of the year. And that means Joey Lussick comes up and uh, push back to Joey Lussick, but he's not that good of a hooker. So um, what do you think? Is Paramount, are their premiership chances gone? Uh, probably not 100% gone, but I mean, you look at the quality. I mean, I don't even think South's the best team in the comp and they put 40 on them. You know, they've got those injuries... Marnie's a huge out for them. He he brings a lot of structure and a lot of go forward to their game. So I think that's going to be a huge loss. And yeah, probably when it comes to finals time, I can't really see how they're going to turn it around in such a short period and come out on top. Yeah, and RCG as well is also injured. So and obviously Mitchell Moses just came back from a fractured back. Like so, they've got a lot going on there, Parramatta. So I feel I feel for their fans. I feel for the club, but. Um, you know, this is a part of the season and I think we'll see a lot of injuries and, and other little things to start creeping their way into those top teams. So that'll be very uh, interesting to watch out for. But South, as you said, we wouldn't label them as the best team. I think the latter probably perfectly, at least with the top three, perfectly represents um, the best teams in the league is Storm, Penrith, South. But as you said, to put 40 on them, they just look so good. And Cody Walker, man, has to be one of the best players in the league. Would you have him in your top five at the moment? Yeah, I think he's attacking, particularly on the attacking-wise side of things, he, he's been pretty incredible. And, I mean, they've been scoring points for fun. And when they do score points, it looks so easy for their outside backs. And, and that's down to those halves the work they do in the middle. Another really positive thing to them was just the 12 points. You know, a lot of games this year, they've been kind of try for try and then they maybe pull away and end up winning by, you know, 12 or 18, but it might be 40 to 24. But, you know, you hold a team to 12, it's going to be really important come finals time, that defensive side of the game. Yeah, exactly. That's a great take. But we'll move on to the second game, which was Penrith against the Chooks. Now, Penrith is still looking stagnant. Like, they don't look nearly as good as they used to. And obviously, and you've got to give them, got to give them credit. Sorry, can't speak. Cleary is still out injured. And obviously, he is top five player in the league. If anyone doesn't have him in the top five, I don't think you're watching closely enough. He, um, he obviously holds the key to their success, but... Obviously, with Marnie now out with a shoulder injury, that's got to now, for Penrith, they've got to now be worried because they've just seen how significant it would be if they rush Cleary back and he even cops anything. Because remember, he's a primary kicker. Every team will be targeting him for the rest of the year. It is going to be nightmare. This is the biggest challenge Cleary will ever have in his entire career, or at least to this uh, point in his career. Cleary is usually that structural half and Luai does all the eyes up footy and they don't have that at the moment Luai ran for 34 meters on the weekend like you can't have someone that good running for 34 meters they're just their whole game plan has been thrown out the window unfortunately and even Toto being out as well they're clearly missing the meters out the back their top um, meter eater I think had 194 meters and we know Toto averages 246 or 48 so there's a significant difference between what they're offering now and what they can offer when healthy. 
and obviously a lot of sides are like that, but it's very clear with them. Um, where do you stand with them? If they get those players back and they're still going to be somewhat injured, are they, are they going to get back to what they were at the start of this year? Yeah, I think that's the big question. And, you know, there's only a few rounds left. So, you know, when they come back, it's going to be likely straight into finals and whether they can come in and, and click straight away when it really matters is going to be a big question for them. Obviously, you know, as you say, they are a bit hard to judge at the moment. So you probably can't really write them off or say that they're, they're a really good chance because you just don't know. And if I had to say right now, I think they'll still, they'll still be there in the final two weeks. And then, you know, if those guys can come in and click straight away, they'll probably be there on, in the grand final. And then, it, you know, you get yourself to the grand final, you give yourself an opportunity to win the game. So that's the best they can hope for at the moment, I think. Yeah, exactly. So now the final game that we spoke about, Storm Manly. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh, Tom Dravojevic, he was quiet. He didn't have his usual game. I've got to disagree. I think he definitely, well, he never crossed the line. He never scored. And that's something we've been taking for granted. He just scores tries for fun. But I honestly think even though Manly lost, there is nothing to worry about for Manly. Nothing. They played a really good style of footy. They can probably. Uh, defend a little bit better through the middle and not allow Melbourne to make so many metres and, and get back on side because I thought Grant and, uh, and Brandon Smith just made metres for fun at times during this game. Um, but besides that, there's nothing for them to worry about. Travojevic, listen to these stats. If you're going to listen to what other people are saying, they're going, oh, he had a quiet game. This is so good. If this was anyone else, we'd be, you know, congratulating them. Two try assists. Four line break assists, 153 metres, and five tackle breaks. That is a hell of a performance from him. What do you think? Do you think people have been a little bit too harsh on Manly after that game and a little bit too harsh on uh, Turbo Tom? Yeah, I think the way they've been playing, I think everyone expects them to just score tries. And we expect Turbo to have two, Saab to have two, Garrick to have two, you know, but... When you come up against the top teams, that's not going to happen. And the Storm have been in incredible form. Like, they've been smashing everyone. And for them, Manly to really come up and give them a test, obviously couldn't get the win, but I think a lot of positives come out of that. And in the end, they're probably going to see them towards the end of the season. And that's really the game that matters there in the finals. Exactly. And I think what Manly did well, that, as you said, Melbourne have been just destroying teams. They're, they have the record now in NRL, in NRL history. I think it stands now at 13 or 14. No, I think it's between the 12 to 14 range of uh, most games with 40-plus points. So they have just been putting points on, to, points on for fun. But what Manly did really well is they actually tested Melbourne defensively. And they definitely targeted Melbourne's... Um, right-hand side defense. They were stripping them for numbers so easily. And what's huge about that is that means other teams are going to be like, oh, let's copy what they did and let's get them stripped for numbers. Now, Melbourne might have just been off in this game. I don't think they played their best. It was still a very entertaining game. But when you show a weakness like that, every team is going to start going for it. That's a, a chink in your armor, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how they change that, how they work in the next week to try and um, uh, decrease that as a problem. Um, but obviously, 17 straight wins now for Melbourne. A win on Thursday night against Canberra will give them the all-time record for most consecutive wins in a single season of 18. You back them to get it? 
I think they definitely will get it. But, you know, we've seen in years prior in the NRL, it's maybe not the best thing to actually have that huge winning streak coming into the finals. You only have to look back to last year where Penrith, Penrith were that team where they just came into the finals flying and, you know, they ended up losing, losing the uh, grand final. So on one hand, it's great. And I'm sure, you know, the way that Craig Bellamy and those guys operate, they're probably not too worried about it. But part of you does also think maybe it's better for them to lose a game before they get into the finals. You have to think if any team can hold a consecutive winning streak and then win the comp, it's Melbourne. So they definitely have the experience of being there. But that is us done for the week. A huge episode. But, mate, now no Olympics. What's on the radar this week? What are you watching? I don't know. I might have to get really back into my uh, AFL and rugby league. You know, if anyone, or for all our rugby union tragics out there, the uh, New Zealand NPC has just started up again. So I'll definitely have that on the telly. But I don't think anyone else will. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I get you. I, for myself, man, I think the NBA Summer League just started up. Leandro Ball was out there balling this morning, 16 points in 16 minutes. So I think it'd be really cool to see some of those draft picks play. But anyway, if you'd like to see some of our other work, head through to Instagram and Twitter and follow us at T underscore practice drill. We post articles four times a week on the raw. So make sure to go onto our bio, click the link and go check out our articles. We're writing on everything, NBA, basketball, Uh, NRL, AFL, Rugby Union, and International Cricket. But anyway, that is us done for another week. Thanks once again for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week for episode 13 of the Practice Drill Podcast. Blaze. I'll catch you uh, next week. See ya.